0: Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19, Pew Bible page 26, continuing in our sermon series on Genesis. You could tell everyone that the the best sermon you ever heard on Mother's Day was Sodom and Gomorrah. Unless the sermon is really bad, then don't tell them that, okay? All right. First 29 verses of Genesis chapter 19. Here now, the reading of God's holy word. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said. This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge? We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were out the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well. I'll grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town is called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus, he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I entitled the sermon, The City of Destruction. If you're familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, you'll find some striking similarities to Genesis 19 and the way that uh, the most popular and most copied and printed book besides the Bible opens its story. This is how Christian's journey begins. He saw a man with a book in his hand and a great burden upon his back. He opened the book and read therein. As he read, he wept and trembled. And not being able to, the longer to contain, he broke, broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do? And this plight, therefore, he went home and refrained himself as long as he could, that his wife and children should not perceive his distress. But he could not be silent long, because that his trouble increased. Wherefore, at length, he break his mind to his wife and children, and thus he began to talk to them. Oh, my dear wife, said he, and you, the children of my bowels, I, your dear friend, am in myself undone by reason of a burden that lieth hard upon me. Moreover, I am for certain informed that this, our city, will be burned with fire from heaven, and which fearful overthrow both myself with thee, my wife, and you, my sweet babes, shall miserably come to ruin, except the which yet I see not some way of escape. Can be found whereby we may be delivered. And at this, his family were so amazed, not that they believed that what he had said to them was true, but because they thought that some frenzy, distemper, had gotten into his head. Therefore, it drawing towards night, and they hoping that sleep might settle his brains with all haste, they got into bed. But the night was as troublesome to him as the day. Wherefore, instead of sleeping, he spent it in sighs and tears. So when the morning was come, They would know how he did. He told them worse and worse. He also set to talking to them again, but they began to be hardened. They also thought to drive away his distemper by harsh and surly carriages to him. Sometimes they would deride, sometimes they would chide, and sometimes they would quite neglect him. Wherefore, he began to retire himself to his chamber to pray for and pity them, and also to condole his own misery. He would also walk solitarily in the field, sometimes reading and sometimes praying, and thus for some days he spent his time. And once again he cried out after reading the book, What shall I do to be saved? He looked this way and that way stood still, because as he perceived, he could not tell which way to go. And then a man named Evangelist came to him and said, Why do you cry? He answered, Sir, I perceive by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die and after that to come judgment and I find that I am not willing to do the first and not able to do the second. Evangelist said, Why not willing to die since this life is attended with so many evils? The man answered, Because I fear that this burden that is upon my back will sink me lower than the grave and I shall fall into Tophet. And sir, if I be not fit to go to prison, I am not fit to go to judgment and from thence to execution and the thoughts of these things makes me cry. Well, if this be thy condition, the evangelist said, why standest thou still, he answered, because I know not whether to go. Then he gave him a parchment roll, and there was written, fly from the wrath to come. And the man read it. And looking up at evangelist, he said, where should I fly? And evangelist pointed with his finger over a very wide field, and you say, do you see the narrow gate? The man said, no. Do you see a shining light? And the man said, I think I do. Then said evangelist, keep that light in your eye and go up directly thereto. So shalt thou see the gate at which when thou knockest, it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. So the man began to run. Now he had not run far from his door, but his wife and children perceiving it began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life, life eternal. So he looked not behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. And after that, obstinate and pliable came with him, and they tried to persuade him to go back with them. But he said, that can by no means be. You dwell, said he, in the city of destruction, the place also where I was born, I see it to be so. And dying there, sooner or later, you will sink lower than the grave into a place that burns with fire and brimstone. Be content, good neighbors, and go along with me. The truth of the matter is, Sodom and Gomorrah is the city of destruction. It is emblematic of the judgment that is to come to all. And it's put here in Genesis chapter 19 to be a reminder to us of the judgment that our sin deserves, our sin requires, and of the only way to be saved. The wrath to come. Our sin requires God's judgment is our theme this morning. The first point that we have is the sin of Sodom. The first eleven verses tell us what happened after God left Abraham. After Abraham had the discussion with God about the righteous who lived in the city, tells us what the two angels who left God. And gone down into the city have seen. God said, I have come down to see what the outcry is about Sodom and Gomorrah. and it's really true what, what's going on there. If it's really true how bad it has become. And so, we read that the two angels arrive at Sodom in the evening. And we hear that Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Now, the gateway of the city was often the place where the elders of the city were to gather. The place where judgment was held uh, the place where court cases were heard in essence. And so it's interesting to find Lot sitting there at the gateway of the city because it almost seems to be telling us that Lot has become a prominent person in the city of Sodom, even though he is a foreigner, somebody who has um, gained respect. And, um, and so he's sitting there at the gate. And what we see here is that as Lot sees these, sees these two men come to him, uh, he invites him to his household. We already talked about the importance of hospitality in the ancient Near East, and how earlier in Genesis 18, Abraham played the part of the, uh, the perfect, hospitable host. Um, and what we see here is that, in some sense, uh, Lot is a midway point between Abraham, who is the iconic um, picturesque host of the ancient Near East and what we're going to soon find out about the inhabitants of Sodom. A lot invites them to their house. They refuse because they want to see how um, serious he is about inviting them. And, and so he insists, come to my house. Um, he prepares a meal for them. He, breaks, he, he bakes bread without yeast. And the ape. So, if you remember the feast that uh, Abraham provided for God and the two angels was uh, a, fat, a calf, a uh, milk and curds, bread. Um, here it's a little bit simpler. Um, so Lot is being hospitable, but he's not. You know, he's not Abraham in this picture. And this is where we read in verse four um, this atrocious, horrible thing that happens. Uh, that validates the outcry that God has heard from Sodom. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Um, Verse 4 tells us that there's no one excluded from this uh, situation. All the men from all over the city, both young and old, um, this is not something that is uh, about a particular age group of men, or a particular area of Sodom. This is to express to us that all of Sodom has grown so wicked and so evil. Uh, And they call out to Lot. And you get the idea that uh, you now understand why Lot insisted that these visitors come to um, stay in his place. And they cry out to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. That's what the uh, Hebrew says there, that we may know them. And the connotation is obvious. Um, This is why for for many, many years um, homosexual sex has spoken of as sodomites or sodomized because of this correlation with sodomy. Uh, in the book of Jude in the New Testament, uh, the mentioned sin when it came to Sodom was a, a confusion and a distortion and a corruption of rightly uh, ordered sexual um, desires, and uh, this is expressed here in this moment. Um, but the, the sin of Sodom goes um, even beyond that of this act of attempted rape, um, these men are um, seeking to dominate these visitors from another place. Um, it is the ultimate act of inhospitability, inhospitable. Um, if you look at the other prophets in the Old Testament, um, many of the sins connected to Sodom are um, is lack of hospitality. Um, It's lack of welcoming of strangers and aliens. It's um, abuse of orphans and widows. And so, um, I only say that because I don't think that we should uh, distract away from this gruesome picture of attempted rape by these men who have come to Lot's house, who have seen these visitors, and who are asking the most atrocious and horrible thing that these men be brought out so that they could be um, raped. Um, But I will tell you that uh, much of what has gone on in Sodom, besides these sexual acts, um, the inhospitability, um, the the, uh, lack of care, concern for orphans, for widows, the oppression of the poor, these are things that we see in our own lives, in our own society, in our own culture. And if we're honest, um, these are things that we see in ourselves, too, that we uh, must repent of and ask the Lord to help us grow in our ability to uh, not only know about those who are in need, but also... And do something about it. Of course, we see that what happens is Lot steps outside. And uh, says one of the most confusing things. And one of the most difficult things to understand uh, for a father to say. Um, no, my friends. Please don't, uh, please don't rape these visitors that I brought with you. That I brought to my house. That have come to visit Sodom. Instead, take my daughters. I mean, have you ever read that and just thought, what is he doing? Um, Why would he offer up his own daughters to these wicked men? I mean, in one sense, we could say, here in this moment, we're seeing the influence that um, the, the society and the culture of Sodom has had. On Lot, But there are some who say, if Lot is one who is sitting in the gate as one who judges, Lot would be familiar with the laws of these ancient Near Eastern cultures like Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot would know that since his daughters have been betrothed to Sodomites, or to uh, people who live in Sodom, um, these men who have lived in Sodom, who are the, his, his son-in-laws because they're betrothed to uh, the daughter, that maybe he's trying to catch these men who have come to his house in a legal conundrum. Um, We're f- so filled with these sexual lusts and passions. Um, we want these men to come out here so that we can overcome them and mistreat them and abuse them. Um, but Lot says, well, why don't I offer you my, my daughters? And then maybe that would sort of bring them out of this um, um, impassioned and, and, um, and lusted, lustful haze that they're in because they'd say, oh no, we 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 can't do that because, because they're betrothed to our, you know, people in our community. So maybe there is that, but either way, um, shame on Lot for offering up his own daughters to these men. If there were any father alive today who would have some criminal banging on his door and who would say, hey, don't, don't take anything or don't hurt anybody, but here have my daughters, um, yeah, we would shame that person because it is inherent as a father, the need to protect and to care for. And this word that Lot says, hey, don't do this thing with these strangers that are here with me. But you can take my daughters. You can do whatever you want with them. It's the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that. And I want you to understand how far the sin and corruption of Sodom is gone. They do not want anything to do with that. They said, get out of our way. We're going to break into this house and we're going to uh, take these strangers and we're going to do whatever it is that we want to do with them. And because they were doing that, the, uh, the men outside reached, uh, men inside, the angels, reached in, pulled Lop back into the house, shut the door, and they struck all the men with blindness. Can you imagine how filled with lust and corruption you have to be that you, along with all these other men out in front of this house are struck with blindness and you're still groping around trying to find the door, trying to figure out a way to get in there, to do whatever it is that your lustful heart and your flesh wants you to do. Can you imagine? How given over. You have to be to, uh, to act in such a way. I mean, it's just almost inhuman. It's animalistic. The way that these men from Sodom are, are being, are acting. This is the sin of Sodom. And remember, our sin requires God's judgment as well. You know, it's really easy to read a passage like this and to think, yeah, Sodom, what a horrible place. It's really easy to uh, read a story like this and, and, and to think, yeah, mm, burn it with fire, God. It's so horrible, it's so wicked. And not not see the own sin that's still in our hearts, the flesh that we still struggle with, the sin that we still wrestle with, the lust that we still have. I mean, when we look at Genesis chapter 19, you know, who are we in this story? We could be a number of people, but if we can't see ourselves in the Sodomites, then we don't understand sin. You want to start shocking people? Start walking around saying, Um, yeah, I'm a Sodomite, but Jesus died for my sin. And when I say that, I'm not saying it in the sense of sexual sin. I'm just saying it in the sense of sin was what defined what Sodom became, and it's why God brought judgment upon Sodom. And what we don't understand is we we don't understand that our sin requires God's judgment. But the reality is that judgment either comes in the fire and the brimstone that come upon Jesus Christ or the judgment that comes from Christ in the end. Your sin was judged because your sin requires God's judgment but you escaped from the wrath to come. You escaped from the city of destruction because your sin was judged in Christ. Don't be so quick to take yourself out of the picture of those who lived in Sodom. Because when you understand the greatness of your sin, when you understand the depth of your sin, then you really understand what it is that your Savior, Jesus Christ, did for you. Then you understand that Jesus became a sodomite on the cross so that we could be free of the punishment of Sodom. What about the speedy departure? You see, we might not only be those who are in Sodom in this story this morning. We could be, we could be like Lot. And I, if I had a name for this, I would, I would call it the non-speedy departure. So uh, the two men said to Lot, then, what they really came for. They revealed their mission. They revealed who it, who it is that they were. He said. To Lot, these two men, do you have anybody else here? Go, get them, tell them to get out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he sent us to destroy it. And they just witnessed it with their very own eyes. So Lot went out and he spoke to his son-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughter. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons in law thought he was joking. Just like Christian's family thought he was joking. I need you to understand something. We all, because of the grace of God, understand that there is a judgment coming. There is a day in which the wrath of God will be revealed against all ungodliness. And it's already being revealed in part now, but it will come in full now. And sometimes... The way that the world gets around that reality that it knows is coming. That reality that it knows that there is a day of reckoning. There is a day when all secret sins will be revealed. There is a day when those who did not receive justice in this life will receive justice. There is a day when murderers who never got caught will stand before God Almighty. There is a day when rapists who never got caught will stand before God Almighty. There is a day that is coming where all will be revealed, where judgment will be final, where the books will be opened, and where all the things of our lives will come before us and be seen. And the one way that the world, who knows that this is going to come and be and happen, gets around the heaviness, the weightiness of that reality. It's to laugh at it, To mock it. To make us seem like we're the crazy ones. We're the ones that are bonkers. Right? When we talk about the wrath that is to come, to characterize us as those people who wear sandwich boards. And walk around the city of Chicago. Let's say the end is near. Lot's sons-in-laws didn't get it. They thought he was joking. And this is one thing that I want you to consider. If it is the case that when Lot told him that the Lord Yahweh is about to destroy the city and his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Maybe it is the case that his life did not revolve around the reality of the Yahweh covenant God. That Lot did not speak about this covenant God very often in his life. That Lot did not bring up to his sons-in-law, that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth, that there is a God who rules over all, that Lot did not let them know and mention to them that there is a God that he serves that is unlike these pagan gods of Sodom, that there is a God who knows and sees all things, and a God who will bring justice and judgment. Maybe it is that this is the first time Lot has ever said anything to his sons-in-law about this, And in that situation, I can understand why his sons-in-law would think he was joking. We have to ask ourselves that question, too. How often do our conversations revolve around the covenant God, the gospel that saved us, and the judgment that is to come. How stricken by that seriousness, that, um, that burden, are we? That there are people who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. There are people living today who don't know that they're in Sodom. And judgment is coming that they live in the city of destruction. And here we are, we know that that judgment is coming. And we don't tell them, we don't inform them, we don't let them know. We make it our little secret, we keep it to ourselves. It doesn't mean that you have to go out on the street and stand on the street corner and start screaming out the end is near. It doesn't mean that you have to turn yourself into a a street preacher or an evangelist. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means maybe your heart could just start to feel a little bit more of that burden that you want people to know. That the way you flee from the wrath to come is in Jesus Christ. You want people to know that if tomorrow Christ were to come back to judge the living and the dead, that that there is a way through faith in Jesus Christ that you could be free from the wrath to come, that you would not receive the judgment that your sins deserve because your judgment was given in Christ. Maybe it is that you carry a couple of tracks around. You get a chance to hand it to someone you do. Maybe it is that if you run into somebody, as you're out and about, you know, you, you try to spark up a conversation. Say, hey, I noticed the cross you're wearing. Or, hey, um, have you ever heard of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel? I try to share it with everyone I, I come into contact with because it's been so meaningful to me. Listen, I'm up here telling you this and I'm thinking to myself, I can't remember the last time I did that. I can't. I'm telling this to myself because as I've been looking at this passage and realizing to myself, this is where we're living right now. We're a lot living. In the city of destruction, we're a lot living in Sodom knowing that that, that the angels have declared the news that that judgment is coming. And I don't want to go up to one of my friends or family members or, or somebody that I know and to tell them about Jesus Christ and for them to laugh at me because it's like that comes out of nowhere. That comes out of nowhere. It's like I've never even talked about that stuff with them. And now all of a sudden, I'm going to bring it up. I don't want that to happen to me. I want God to give me a burden for the lost. A burden for the citizens of the city of destruction. Because I was once that. So his sons-in-law thought he was joking. And if you watch... The coming of dawn, the angels urge Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife, your two daughters who were here, or you'll be swept away, and the city is punished. You get the idea. The Lot is dragging his feet. Oh, like, I really, I know I got to get out of here. I mean, God is going to destroy this place, but, like, just, I guess, you know. Hold on, let me grab a couple more things. Um... And in verse 16, what do we have? When he hesitated. The men grasped his hand, the hands of his wife and of his two daughters, and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Lot was a man standing between two worlds. Lot was a man who had fallen for so many of the glittery and shiny things of this world the riches of Sodom, the lush greenness of that part of the country and land, the opportunity to make and collect wealth and status. But then Lot also knew the God of Abraham, the one whom his uncle Abraham served and whom Abraham was given strength to rescue Lot and his family from those who had come and taken him. And so Lot understood, in a sense, the salvation that God gives. And here he is, he's standing, stuck in two worlds, and and, and, and he's hesitating, and he doesn't really want to give up what the world is offering him, even though he knows that it's going to bring destruction, judgment, and condemnation, and death. But... What's he going to do? And eventually, in the mercy of God Almighty, he is yanked. Literally dragged from the city of destruction and brought to a place of safety. i got to ask you a question. How many of us Including myself, can relate to that concept of being stuck between two worlds. How many of us are drawn towards the things of this world, towards the things of the city of destruction? If I were going to use another uh, analogy from the Pilgrim's Progress Vanity Fair. How many of us have stuck our foot a little bit in this world because we have lost sight of how much more glorious and amazing and awesome and fulfilling and pleasurable Jesus Christ is? We think the world has something to offer, but it doesn't. Its promises fall short. It's a broken cistern. We think it's milk and honey, but really, it's rotten. How many of us can relate to lot here? If you can, like I can, pray to the Lord, Lord, help me to not be stuck between two worlds. Lord, help me to be rid of those things in this world that are still clinging to me that I'm that I'm holding on to so that I can more freely serve you, love you, enjoy you. Lord, help me to not be like the rich young ruler who went away sad because he had much. In this world, he had riches in this world. Lord, help me not to be uh, stuck to and clinging to the things of this world that I have collected in this city of destruction because I am a citizen of heaven, the city that God has built. Lord, help me to, to not be distracted by those things that are in this world but to set my eyes on Jesus Christ to understand that in Jesus, the sins that I received, that I should have received judgment and destruction and death, for they have been punished in him. He set me free from the power of canceled sin. He has canceled sin on the cross. In his death, I have died to sin. My flesh has died. I am no longer beholden to this world and everything that it has to offer. I am beholden to the world to come, Lord God. Please do that in my heart. I don't want to be like Lot who hesitated. They had to drag him out of that city, even though he knew, Lot knew, that that city was going to be destroyed. If not for the mercy of God, Lot would have stayed there until the sulfur, burning sulfur rained down from heaven on him and his family. And it's not just that. After they escape from Sodom and Gomorrah, they tell them, flee for your lives. Don't look back. We're destroying this entire valley. But Lot says to them, oh, please don't make me go that far. Please don't make me go that far. I mean, I don't think I'm going to make it. Please, can I stay right here? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I think is just the audacity. But but do you ever think that? Do you ever think that when God shows us mercy, and then God calls us to let go of this, or to um, to grow in this way or that way? Maybe sometimes we say too, well, oh God, maybe it's just not that. Maybe like. Um, you know, I know you want me to go here, but you know I'll meet you here, God. Sometimes we do that as well. Sometimes even when God shows us mercy, we, we ask God, we say to him, it's too hard because we don't depend upon him. We ask God, God, can we go here instead? Would that be okay with you? You know, the interesting thing about this part of the story is that the Lord did not say, you heard what I said. Get going. And the Lord said, okay, I'll grant this request too. I will spare that town so that you don't have to go all the way outside the valley up to the mountains. But you need to go, hurry, quick. And, um, and that's the way God is with us as well. You know, maybe in our minds we don't think that we are, um, we're just telling God we'll only meet Him halfway. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes in the weakness of our faith, sometimes when, we're, when our flesh is still clinging to us, our effort is, is minuscule. It's not... Um, It's not 100%. And because God is our gracious Heavenly Father, He understands that. And He accepts that. He accepts that. And He's never, He's never disappointed. Then we read the judgment that came on Sodom and Gomorrah. Burning sulfur, from the Lord, out of, he- out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation and the land. All this happened. Uh, one time Lot looked down upon this area and he said, wow, it is like the garden of the Lord. It is like the garden of Eden. It's so lush. It's so wonderful. But looks can be deceiving. Because even though that land looked as if it was flourishing, that land looked as if it was prospering. That land looked as if the Lord was blessing it. That which could not be seen in the hearts of the people who lived there, the sin of which they had become beholden to, the corruption of which they had participated in, the degradation of humanity which had happened there. Even though it could not be seen in the greenness, in the lushness of the world, it was what brought the destruction. And that place now has never been the same again. Verse 26, we're told also of Lot's wife. Lot hesitated, but Lot's wife looked back. She looked back longingly of the life she had before. That's why when Jesus came, he said, those who desire to be in the kingdom, they have to take the plow, they have to move forward. There's no looking back. There's no looking back. They escaped, But we read verse 27, that Abraham early in the next morning, got up and he went to the place where he had stood before the Lord and spoke to the Lord about the, uh, the ten righteous people. Lord, if there's 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare will you spare the cities for the sake of the ten righteous? And Abraham found out there were not 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw. Dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. But when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he did remember Abraham. He remembered Abraham. And because he remembered Abraham, he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Because Abraham had prayed for Lot. Because Abraham had asked the Lord, intervened for the Lord, interceded for for Lot with the Lord, because Abraham had prayed. God remembered Abraham and redeemed Lot from the city of destruction. This is how, why it's so important for us to pray. Pray for those that we love, to pray for those who are lost, to pray for those who are in the city of destruction, because even though it might not seem like a lot. Abraham prayed, and Lot was saved from the destruction that the sin of that place deserved. You know, our sin requires God's judgment. It's true. It's a statement that we don't often hear. It's an unpopular statement in our day and age. And the reality is our sin is either judged in Christ or by Christ in the end. When evangelists came to Christian. He said to him, fly from the wrath to come. And our advice should be, for all that we come into contact with, believers or non-believers, go to the cross. Go to the cross, find there through the wicked gate that your burden falls away and rolls into the grave and that burden is your burden of sin. Find there that you are free from the city of destruction and you are on your way to the celestial city. You are no longer beholden to the vanity fair. You're no longer beholden to Abandon, to all the enemies that try to stop you on your path towards that celestial city. You are a citizen Of a new kingdom, your king has called you. Go to the cross. Go to the cross and find there the judgment of your sin that your sin requires from God. Because on that cross, Christ died and experienced the wrath of God for your sin. For my sin, if we believe. And if you don't believe, go to the cross so that you may receive forgiveness of your sin. That you may see in the cross the judgment of your sin. And you may see in the resurrection the new life that you are called to. The old man is dead. The new man is alive. Go to the cross to flee from the wrath to come. To flee from the city of destruction. Amen. We pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. That you have in your power received, or uh, in your power, redeemed us from the city of destruction and made us citizens of the city, the celestial city, by faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that our sin received judgment in Christ uh, so that we could be free uh, from the condemnation and judgment we deserved. We pray, Lord, for all those who are lost, that they would, too, also find salvation in Jesus Christ, find the judgment of their sin in Him. We ask, Lord, that we would always pray for them. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be those who are stuck between two worlds, that we would not hesitate, that we would not be beholden to the things of this world and the flesh. The world, the flesh, the devil, Lord, that we would be free from these things and more beholden to more dedicated to more devoted to Christ and all that he has in the world to come. And we pray, Lord, that you would watch over us as we live in this world, but that we not be of this world. That we would trust in you to provide for us escape from temptations and sins and corruptions. That we may live as lights in this world. We may live as pictures of the world to come. That we may also speak up, Lord, when given opportunity to give a reason for the hope that we have for the redemption and salvation that we received in Jesus Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.